0: This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the roaring 20s. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now, she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on Chapter 6, and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and
1: Android. Y'all, Kristen is really trying to thrive in her new setting. <laughs> you can't see it, but we've got throw pillows, we've got a couch, we've got oh, stuffed I'm animals. I'm so happy
0: to be on this couch that's so comfy, with surrounded by my stuffed animals.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you're living your best and I'm life. Not stay in bed, sloth pillow. <laughs> no, stay in bed. Yeah, I'm glad you're really killing it over there.
0: Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mo Gap, the true crime
1: newbie who hasn't heard any of them.
0: We gotta fix you up next. I know. We gotta get you a boom arm, actually
1: have an interest in that it seems like a lot
0: it's not a lot and i have a massive interest in you having one because you bump the mic so damn much
1: i, ju- I just want to say that you bumped to the mic last episode like probably for the first time ever and i'm still riding that <laughs> high i'm like this bitch bumped the mic. okay hey, uh wh- we should talk about our patreon no we shouldn't we should talk about ladies and gentlemen we got a p.o box Oh my God, we got a P.O. box. And I'm so excited about it. Oh, yeah. 43296. We're P.O. box 43296.
0: Louisville, Kentucky, am- because Lord knows I don't even check the mail at the front of my house. So uh, that's Mogab's job.
1: <laughs> I've already like checked this P.O. box like twice. I had to go get Sam's the other day and I like opened it and Russell's like, no one even knows you have that. I'm like, I know, but maybe they like put like a welcome flyer in. He was like, a oh, welcome flyer? <laughs>
0: So we will share that P.O. box on what? On our Instagram, in the Facebook discussion group. Yeah. Send us
1: send us snail send, mail. If you want to send us
0: mail, snail, snail mail, that would be awesome. MoGab is obsessed with the snail mail. Yeah. So MoGab will be checking that P.O. box every time she goes to send out our Patreon mail because we send out some, uh, some
1: cards and stuff. <laughs> so let's be honest. It'll probably be more often that's like basically connected to the Starbucks.
0: So. <laughs> oh, oh
1: well now it makes sense
0: oh yeah <laughs> now it makes sense so we have a patreon and if you join at the five dollar level we put out a bonus episode every month we just dropped our fifth bonus episode that was the true story behind the movie alpha dog we've also got several others up there if you go up two dollars to the seven dollar level we have mini creeps at that level which is like two to three mini episodes a month that are just on different topics. Some are true crime related. Some are very much not. And you get a sticker and a signed card at that level. And then we have a $10 level that gets you 20% off of merch. So if any of that is interesting to you, if you just really want more of this uh, nonstop entertainment that we've got here,
1: <laughs> please. True or false? I'm the most entertaining
0: person you oh, know. Oh, 100% true for See, forever
1: don't you wish everyone could say not it? a lie
0: join yeah i could listen to you tell stories about your life in fact you know what that's what i want a mini creep one time i want you to just compile the most ridiculous things that have ever happened to you because i know you think that like
1: i just thought of three right off the top perfect. of my head i could go right
0: i on. want a mini creep <laughs> of just like the most ridiculous mogap stories because it's shocking it's shocking the things that you go through <laughs>
1: <laughs> great i can't i can't wait for that To round this out, the first person to send some fan mail to the P.O. Box, I got a little something for you that I'll send back your Mm. way. So make sure you put a return address on it. Be the first one to hit us up. That would be so exciting.
0: Yeah, where are we going to post that? Okay, so we will post it on our Instagram. We'll post
1: it in the discussion group. Jot it down right now. P.O. Box 43... Shoot, I forgot. 43296.
0: 43296. Louisville, Kentucky. 40253. Woo! Ba-dump-dump. Life doesn't happen bi weekly, so why should Payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with EarnIn. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Creepers under Podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under Podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max and pay period max. See slash tos for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC.
1: All right, I'm stalling. <laughs> Now I'm stalling. Is it because you're going to tell me something equally as terrible as all of the times before?
0: It's pretty bad. This is a pretty bad one. Yeah, so apologies in advance. This is a case that was recommended to me forever and ever ago. I think somebody wrote to me on Instagram. I tried to find it, I couldn't find who originally recommended it, so I'm so sorry. But then my godmother, Dora, she brought it up to me because it's a local case for her because this happened in Austin, Texas. Oh, no. Yes. A big thank you to the podcast, The Orange Tree, which did, like, a whole seven-part series covering this case. So if you are interested in this story, I definitely suggest checking them out for, like, more information. Because, again, seven-part series versus one episode.
1: (laughs) But Yeah, you're about to do this in,
0: like, one hour and a half. Yeah, we – yeah, there's a lot of information in here. So buckle up. All right. On August 17th, 2005 – attorney Bill Thompson was getting a little worried. The day before, 21-year-old Jennifer Cave had filled a temp position at Bill's law firm doing some filing around the office, and the firm had been so impressed with Jennifer that they'd offered her a full-time position to start the next day. But here it was rolling up on 3.30 in the afternoon, and Jennifer still hadn't shown up for work. The law firm had called her several times on her cell. They'd even sent an office manager to her apartment who left a note asking Jennifer to call when she got home.
1: Oh, that's terrifying.
0: Yeah, but they never heard from her. At this point, Thompson thinks it's time to call Jennifer's mother, Sharon, who's living in Corpus Christi, to let her know that her daughter hadn't shown up to work that day. Jennifer Cave was originally from Bishop, Texas, which is a small town full of farmers or blue-collar workers, where her family, which included two sisters, Vanessa and Lauren, and her brother Clayton, all lived on a farm. When Jennifer was a junior in high school, the family moved to Corpus Christi and she graduated from Carroll High School in 2002, which is the same high school my mom went to. What year was this? Sorry, I missed that. So this is in t- 2005.
1: 2005. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Yep. You know, that's big, big year for us. Big over year here.
0: for us. That's when we started at Texas State. And do you oh, know who else went to ahead. Texas State? Jennifer Ooh. Cave, because after. Shut up. Yeah. After graduation, she moved to San Marcos to attend Texas State University, our alma mater. Oh, go Bobcats. Eat them up, cats. Yeah, but let's go, uh, go. But Jennifer struggled academically. And after one semester, she decided to leave Texas State and she moved to Austin.
1: I do feel like that's a prerequisite of attending there, is to leave and come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Or to just struggle academically. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not for the faint of heart.
0: She enrolled at Austin Community College and worked several different jobs, mostly as a waitress, while she just tried to figure out what she wanted out of her life. Her mom's boyfriend, Jim, said that at this point in her life, Jennifer was rudderless. And he said that she'd been really excited about this new job at the law firm. She'd even called to tell him that she'd found her rudder.
1: Wait a second. Mm-hmm. Was she on campus? Did she go to Texas State in 2005? Like 2002. There time? Oh, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Law firm was – okay.
0: Yes. Sharon Cave was really close with Jennifer, her mom. They usually talked every day, and when she got that phone call from Bill Thompson, she was immediately worried. She'd spoken to Jennifer several times the day before, and she could not stop talking about how excited she was to start this new job. Sharon had even told Jennifer that she'd pay for her to go to Ann Taylor, get a nice new outfit for oh. work.
1: I'm relating to all of this. I
0: know. I know. Same. My, literally my first job, which was a temp job, after like when I stopped teaching, my mom bought me outfits from Ann Taylor.
1: <laughs> I literally stocked up on all the loft at Ann Taylor before I moved to Columbus. Yes. I like, cleaned that place out.
0: And it didn't, it just didn't make sense that she would choose to not show up to this job on her first day. So Sharon yeah. started trying to get in touch with Jennifer herself. And when she had no luck on her cell phone, she called T-Mobile, their cell provider, and luckily Jennifer was still on her mom's phone plan. So Sharon was able to get like her recent call activity, and she started calling the most recent numbers on the list, just trying to see if anybody knew where she was. The first couple calls weren't very helpful. She spoke to Jennifer's roommate, Denise Winterbottom. Who'd let Jennifer move in with her a few months before, she'd told Jennifer that she didn't have to worry about paying rent as long as she was working towards, like, getting back on the right track. Like, she was just trying to help her out. Denise told Sharon that she'd seen Jennifer the night before in her pajamas, saying that she was about to go to bed and asking Denise to make sure she got up in the morning for her new job. But when Denise woke up, she wasn't there. Jennifer wasn't at the apartment. Next, Sharon spoke with Jennifer's ex-boyfriend, Scott Engel, who said that he'd spoken to Jennifer the evening before, but they just talked about how excited she was about this new job.
1: So they were, like, broken up, but, like, not broken up?
0: (laughs) I think they were broken up, but they were still, like, friendly. Like, they were still on good terms, but broken up. Sharon left messages for several other people, and then she started calling hospitals and even morgues. She felt so helpless. She just didn't know what she could do from Corpus, which is about a three-hour drive from Austin. All she could do was continue to make phone calls and see if she could find anyone that knew where Jennifer was.
1: She could pull Louise and, you know, send the police to every dorm and classroom (laughs) when I didn't answer after one hour. I can't believe they came.
0: I cannot believe they came.
1: I know. And I was like, uh, yeah, it was in class.
0: <laughs> did she call it campus security? She must have called campus security.
1: I mean, who knows?
0: They don't have anything better sure. to do at two o'clock on a Tuesday. Right. <laughs> for those wondering, we did tell this story one time, but MoGab's mom couldn't get a hold of her, called the police, and they showed up and pulled her out of class.
1: <laughs> My mom hadn't heard from me for one hour. <laughs> One hour.
0: Because she was in class.
1: <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, I was in class. No, they were waiting for me at my dorm. They were at the dorm and I like walked up.
0: Oh. Oh, you got pulled out of class when you were served your lawsuit paper. Yeah, don't get the
1: stories mixed up. Come on. Sorry. Not to be confused with the time the police also at my dorm room for- <laughs> For drugs. The, right. Yeah. That were not mine. Yes.
0: That was the time you were handcuffed on the floor, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. see I know it's all runs together truly
0: this is why I need a mini creep of just like <laughs> <laughs> not to stores. be
1: confused at the time I let the squirrel loose in the Mexican restaurant <laughs> right no, Rocco <laughs> no.
0: around all right I, I need a laugh because this is just gonna get so bad okay oh no Around five o'clock that evening, Sharon got a hold of Jennifer's friend, Michael Rodriguez, who was a DJ that Jennifer had met at a party several months earlier. She explained that Jennifer was missing and she asked if Michael had seen her or knew anything about where she might be. And he said, actually, he'd spoken to her several times the night before. As she's talking to Michael on the phone in her office, her cell phone starts ringing. And so she asked Michael to hang on, and she answered the phone. So now she's got, like, a phone on each ear. And the caller was a friend of Jennifer's named Colton Petoniak, who was returning Sharon's call. Sharon told him that she was looking for Jennifer and asked if he'd seen her, and Colton said no. And Michael, on the cell phone, says that's not right. When he'd spoken to Jennifer the night before, she said she'd been with Colton. (gasps) So, Sharon told Colton this, and Colton said that he'd just seen her downtown the night before, but he didn't know, like, where she was now. And Michael told Sharon, he's lying. He was with her last night. He is lying to you.
1: Wait, and how does this DJ know this? I, because me I'm about to tell you. This. So,
0: Michael had spoken to Jennifer several times throughout the night that she went missing. She first called him at 930 and told him that she was going to go hang out with a friend that was having some issues, and she said his name was Colton. Michael then called her just after midnight to check in and see how she was doing, and she told him that Colton was really upset and mentioned something about how the only people that could help him were people that were in jail. Michael didn't really know what she was talking about, and he didn't really ask, but he said that it didn't sound like Jennifer was afraid or anything like that. Michael called again an hour later, around like a little after one in the morning, just to make sure she was still okay. And Jennifer told him that she and Colton were walking to her car and that Colton was upset because he'd lost his phone and she was going to try to help him find it. She said that Colton was drunk and angry. And then Michael heard Jennifer start yelling at him on the phone. He heard her say, What are you doing? That is not my car. She told Michael he'd just tried to break the window of a car. And then she said, Oh my God, he is pissing on that car.
1: So he was like hammered, wasted. Wasted. But
0: she just sounded more grossed out than like she was afraid for her safety. And it also didn't sound like she was drunk. Hmm. Why
1: do men pee on everything when
0: they're drunk? Why do they pee on everything? Sharon, Jennifer's mom, she did not like the sound of any of this. She was familiar with Colton. Jennifer had told her all about him, and she knew he had a lot of issues. Colton and Jennifer had met soon after she moved to Austin at a party. He was a business finance major at the University of Texas who seemed great on paper. On paper. (laughs) On paper. He came from an upper middle class family in Arkansas. He'd been a merit scholar at his private Catholic school in Little Rock. He had no criminal history. His high school records were spotless. He'd been accepted into the McCombs School of Business at UT. Which is pretty difficult to get accepted into. I mean, it's not like Ivy Leagues or anything, but right. they don't have a high acceptance rate. It's like twenty-five percent.
1: I just heard you list a ton of red flags, no
0: <laughs> <laughs> Catholic school,
1: business, finance. <laughs> Arkansas. I'm just kidding.
0: Arkansas. We love just Arkansas. Just kidding.
1: I actually love Arkansas.
0: <laughs> it's beautiful. It is, really. He came to UT with scholarships lined up like he was set. But after getting to Austin, he started focusing much more on his party life than his academics. He'd started selling drugs to fund his party lifestyle, and he wound up with a DWI and a possession of a controlled substance charge. He and Jennifer had started hanging out a lot, and Jennifer had told Sharon about his drug use and that he'd been in rehab. Sharon had expressed her concerns to Jennifer about her spending so much time with someone like that, but Jennifer thought she could help him. Jennifer had what Sharon's boyfriend Jim, they were very close, what he called the stray dog mentality. She was a- Oh middle my
1: gosh, <laughs> I just talked about this. Really? I just talked about this, yes, with someone I know.
0: Yeah. She was a middle child, so she'd always filled that peacekeeper role in the family. And she just wanted to make sure that everyone was happy, whether it was her family or acquaintances that she barely knew. She wanted to help everyone, to adopt them all like they were stray dogs. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's how she felt about Colton. No one really knows the exact nature of their relationship. People really say they were just friends. They'd never been seen out on a date or anything like that. Friends of Jennifer say that he was her dealer, and it does seem like Jennifer had started to have some issues with drugs herself. But Sharon knew that Jennifer had been distancing herself from Colton as she tried to make these more positive changes in her life. And the fact that Colton was the last person seen with her daughter made her incredibly worried. So she called her boyfriend, Jim Sedwick, and told him there was something wrong with Jennifer. Sharon and Jim had been together a long time. And even though they weren't married at this point, he'd been a father figure to Jennifer and her other kids.
1: Oh, Jennifer has siblings.
0: Yes, she's got the two sisters, Vanessa and Lauren, and her brother, Clayton. So Jim starts helping Sharon continue to make these phone calls, and one of those calls Jim made was to Colton again. He left a message that was described as very stern and asked him to call them back. Colton called back around 7.30, and Sharon asked him again if he knew anything about Jennifer, telling him they still hadn't found her. And Colton said, dude, I'm eating pizza with my friends. Leave me alone. I don't know where she's at. (gasps) We got a pizza party in this episode.
1: Yeah. Sounds like a (laughs) a lame one. A lame one. Like, get out there and
0: help. Yeah. Well, instead, he hung up on her. The next day, this is Thursday, August 18th, Sharon and Jim called the Austin Police Department and asked them to do a welfare check on Jennifer. Police went by her apartment, but there was no sign of Jennifer there, and it was still too soon for them to file a missing persons report.
1: Don't they, like, break, don't they go in? Like, can't they go in? No. Can't, like, bust the door down? I feel like that happens.
0: No, not unless they think, like, she's in there hurt or something, or they have any cause. But, I mean, her roommate, like, lived there. Yeah. They did open a case file on Jennifer and took down her license plate and, like, other personal information. Sharon knew she couldn't just sit around at home anymore, so she and Jim left Corpus around 11 a.m. and they headed up to Austin. When they were a little over halfway there, they got a call from the detective that they'd spoken with the day before, Detective Kathleen Hector. Hector had been making all the same calls that Sharon had been, and the only person she hadn't been able to get a hold of had been Colton. From all the calls she'd been making, she found out that Colton was a drug dealer around the University of Texas campus, where he used to be a student. And one person was able to tell her where he lived, at the Orange Tree Condo Complex, which is a large complex on the west side of the UT campus.
1: So he had already, like, he'd gotten so deep in the drug game, he was no longer enrolled. Like, he went from in the business school, scholar. Yes, that's
0: kind of my understanding not. at this point, he was no longer enrolled in classes. Yeah. my goodness. Hector drove over to the complex and was able to find both Colton and Jennifer's cars parked there. (gasps) Her car's there. Her car is there. So Hector knocks on Colton's door, but no one answered. So she called Sharon to let her know that they'd found the car, but still not Jennifer. At this point, Jennifer is now classified as missing. So Sharon and Jim drive straight to the orange tree and they walk up to apartment 88, Colton's apartment. If Jennifer's car is there, they're certain that they are close to finding her. There's no answer when they knock and the blinds are drawn on all the windows, so they just start banging on the door louder, calling Jennifer's name, but there's no response. They waited there for about an hour, trying to figure out what to do next, and finally they decided to head to a hotel and wait there. Sharon had a spare key to Jennifer's car, so they brought the car with them, hoping that when Jennifer got back, she'd like see her car was missing and call to report it stolen, or at least finally call her mother back to tell her that her car had been stolen.
1: Oh, so they got in it and drove it, though? Yeah, got in it and drove in it. Which, I mean, I guess I I don't know what I would do in that case, but yeah. I guess you don't think that anything is, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and she did end up later thinking that she made a mistake and she brought the car back. But yeah, I think at this point, you're... Not assuming it's a crime scene, you're hoping that this can be like the lure to get Jennifer to call you, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, the reason why I'm uh, concerned is because I'm on a true crime podcast, (laughs) you know? Right. They are not. At the hotel, Sharon called directory assistance
0: for Arkansas because she knew that's where Colton was from, and she managed to get a hold of his dad, Eddie Petoniak, who told her that Colton had called him on Tuesday and asked to use his mom's credit card to take Jennifer to dinner. That was the night that she went missing, was Tuesday. What a scrub. <sighs> yeah. So Sh- I'm like, where's all your drug money? You don't have enough drug money to take her to dinner? Yeah. So Sharon and Jim, they decide to go back to the orange tree. They they can't stand sitting at the hotel either. They go back to the orange tree, and they return to the car to the same spot, because Sharon felt like she had made a mistake taking it with her. Sharon's other daughter, Vanessa met them there she'd driven down from dallas to help look for her sister they call the police again in the hopes that they can get someone to come out and get them inside the apartment they just know that whatever's in there is the clue to everything
1: and he's in there colton is in there but not answering
0: no we don't know that we don't know anything about what's in the apartment
1: so they explain their plight to
0: the patrolman who shows up, and he looks around, and he knocks on some doors, but because all the condos are privately owned, there isn't, like, an on-site manager at the Orange Tree, and there's not a lot he can do without probable cause. He called it in to his superiors, but they wouldn't authorize him to force his way into the apartment. So Jim says, oh. okay, well, what will happen if I force my way in? And the officer, <laughs> <laughs> And the officer told him he could be charged with criminal trespass. That's why you just do it and then
1: ask for permission later.
0: So he left the scene about 45 minutes later. Jim and Sharon continue to wait at the apartment and they're frustrated and they're terrified and they're desperate. They are certain that behind the door to apartment 88 is the key to finding Jennifer. Colton was the link. He was the missing piece of information. Her car was there. They just knew they had to get inside. They called a locksmith who came out to the apartment, but even he couldn't open the door. Sharon starts looking at the window and she notices that there's a crack in one of the windows. And she went over it with her fingernail and kind of chipped the glass some, making a hole in the window pane. And then she took a broken pair of sunglasses and she like used that to open the lock in the window.
1: Oh my gosh, what a G.
0: <laughs> what a G. So Jim opened the window and he climbed into the apartment and he announced himself because this is Texas. He was like, please don't hurt me. Don't shoot. I'm here to help. I'm looking for Jennifer.
1: I used to have to do that if I came home too late. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, you did. I would like text like, it's me. I'm going to open the
0: door now. (laughs) Don't shoot. He had a flashlight and he started looking around. It was just a little studio apartment and it was a complete mess. He didn't see anyone in the room. And when he finally flicked the light on, he started to smell something.
1: Oh, no. So
0: he walked over to the door to the bathroom, and he opened it, and the smell hit him. (gasps) He flipped the light on, and he saw a body in the bathtub, and he saw that it had been
1: decapitated. (gasps) Oh! Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Let's skip through this part. There was a
0: hacksaw on the body's chest, (gasps) and Sharon was just screaming outside, like, is it her? Is it her? Jim left the
1: apartment through the front door and blocked it. So he must have made a noise or done something to, like, Or, like, maybe she was saying, like, is she there? Like, you know, it was very, yeah. yeah.
0: Jim left the apartment through the front door and, like, blocked it so she couldn't go inside. And he said to call 911 immediately. (gasps) So Vanessa, the sister.
1: Oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I know. Ew, I am ill. (sighs) Vanessa
0: got on the phone with 911 and handed the phone to Jim, and Jim told them there was a body in the bathtub, and the tub was full of blood. The 911 operator asked if she was conscious and breathing, and he said, no, I think she's dead. (laughs) They asked if he believed she was past doing CPR, and he said yes, and also he believed that there was a crime scene there that he didn't want to disturb any further. He said he couldn't positively say that it was Jennifer, but the body was wearing a green dress that he thought that he recognized. Sharon wanted to go in, and Jim kept telling her, no, you can't. She wanted to know if it was her daughter for sure, and Jim just kept saying he thinks it's her because he saw her feet. He just kept saying that over and over. I saw her feet. I saw her feet. And Sharon put it together later that he'd seen the freckles on her feet that she called angel kisses. The call that went out reported a female alive in critical condition from an overdose. So we got a- That is
1: not the same thing. We got a miscommunication happening.
0: That's what first responders expected to find when they arrived at the apartment was a female alive in critical condition from an overdose. Firefighters and police entered- Like you're
1: not even packing the same bag to
0: respond. Exactly. Like firefighters are going into the bathroom with their medical gear to like, revive an overdose. Vic- like, oh my gosh, and when they- and then they're
1: probably just like vomiting everywhere.
0: Well, the police officer that was there said that when the when he watched the firefighters go to the door of the bathroom, and they start to walk in and they just do an about face and leave and they're like, yeah. there's nothing here for us to do. The responding officers were Richard Barberia and Chris Clark. Barbaria entered the bathroom and saw the body, like, propped up in the bathtub. Her head and her hands were missing.
1: There was a garbage bag. You mean, like, missing, like, fully missing?
0: Well, there was a garbage bag on the floor that clearly contained the missing body parts.
1: But, I mean, like, when you look at this body, there is no head.
0: No head, no hands. They're in a trash bag. the
1: boyfriend saw that. The dad figure. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, I'm like, whew, I'm nauseous.
0: Sharon Cave and Jim Sedwick head back to Corpus with the daunting task of planning Jennifer's funeral. At this point, Jim is the only person in the family that knows what was done to Jennifer's body, and I can't imagine like having to keep that information to myself. Like, obviously, I think it's good he didn't care to share right away, but I just could see that as being such an incredible burden to have that knowledge.
1: Yeah, like now I have that knowledge, and I am feeling. Yeah, very it's um, upset by it. It's about to get worse. Okay, what do you mean? I thought we already did that part.
0: Uh, so an autopsy was performed, and there were several stab wounds that were found on the body, including eighteen to the face and neck, and another ten in the left shoulder and right breast. But the medical examiner determined that all of those stab wounds occurred after jennifer was already dead jennifer's cause of death was actually a single gunshot that passed through her right arm and then through her ribs on the right side but there was a second bullet found in jennifer's head that was also post-mortem because it had been shot after it had been removed from the body
1: (gasps) oh my god Kristen! through
0: the neck
1: I literally said to you, like, is tonight's episode that bad? Because I'm going to be...
0: Yeah, but you said that way too late. I couldn't change it.
1: (laughs) I know, but you told me it wasn't
0: that bad. Well, it's not scary. I said it's not scary. You asked if it was scary. I'm terrified. Well, you don't have anybody that's going to do this to you in your life. You don't know my life. That's true. You got a lot of shady characters. (laughs) (laughs) I do not, (laughs) but I'm still terrified. You know you keep that circle tight. (laughs) High and tight. There was also a decent amount of recreational drugs in her system, amphetamines, marijuana, stuff like that. People tend to get super hung up on that with this case, like, but it doesn't seem like it had anything to do with what happened, so we're just not, we're not going to talk about that and we're not going to blame the victim. Okay. The evidence started piling up against Colton Petoniak, besides, like, this being his apartment. The gun used was found in his car. A knife and a machete stained with Jennifer's blood were found in the apartment in addition to the hacksaw, and his DNA could not be excluded from any of the weapons. So police start canvassing, they start interviewing friends and witnesses, and they start to piece together a timeline of events of the night that Jennifer was murdered. So that evening, Jennifer and her roommate Denise were watching some TV together before they went to bed. Jennifer told Denise that she wanted to be up by 6 a.m. for her new job, and so she went into her bedroom. That's when she gets a call from Colton, and she agrees to go to 6th Street with him, which is basically Austin's version of, like, Beale or Bourbon Street. It's, it's in downtown Austin, and it's just, like, a street lined with bars for, like, six blocks. They close the street to traffic after 9 on the weekend, so you can, like, walk <laughs> in the street, bounce from bar to bar. Very oh, popular Lord. with the under-25 crowd. <laughs> Like, once you hit 25, you're, like, over it.
1: That's when you move over to Rainy Street.
0: Yeah, or SoCo, South Congress. Mm -hmm. Wow.
1: Hmm. Not familiar.
0: (laughs) Never heard of it. (laughs) Never been there. Never heard of it. No one knows why she agreed to go out with Colton that night, especially when she knew she wanted to get up early to go to her new job. From what she told Michael, it sounds like Colton had some sob story about some problems he was having, And it was kind of her M.O. to try to, like, help people when they were down, like Jim's stray dog theory. And that's really the thing that makes the most sense about why she would have agreed to go. After she got off the phone with Colton, she called Michael to tell him about her plans. This is the DJ that had talked to Sharon. So Jennifer picked Colton up from the orange tree, and they headed to 6th Street. And they went to this restaurant nearby. He'd called his mom earlier that day to ask to borrow her credit card, so it makes me wonder if these plans, like, weren't as last minute as they seemed. Like, he seemed to have it in his head that he wanted to take her to dinner, but she didn't seem to be aware that she was going to have plans that night until he called her. Like, she's in her pajamas, getting ready to go to bed, got a big day at yeah, work the next day. dinner would
1: have been earlier, likely.
0: Well, this is like 10. I mean, by the time they get to the restaurant, the kitchen is closed, so... <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So they order drinks. Colton has been drinking all day and he'd taken Xanax earlier as well. So he's like already intoxicated at this point. So they leave the restaurant and they head to a bar called Treasure Island. And police are able to find a group of witnesses that had been out celebrating a birthday. And they hung out with Colton and Jennifer while they were at Treasure Island. Jennifer knew a few of the people in that group through Michael, the DJ. But they had never met Colton. They didn't know him. The witnesses all said that at first they thought that Colton and Jennifer were on a date, but then Colton started hitting on the birthday girl. So it kind of became apparent that they were not together. And they said Colton made a call on his cell phone to buy some cocaine.
1: Colton, man, chill.
0: So they all decide to leave Treasure Island and they head across the street to the Cheers bar. Jennifer and Colton walk with the group, but they never make it inside the bar. This is around the time Michael called her for the last time that night, and Jennifer told him that she and Colton were walking to her car and that he was trying to break into a car and then peed on a car. He was very intoxicated at this point. Jennifer told Michael she'd call him back. She needed to, like, help Colton look for his phone, but he never spoke to her again after that.
1: So Michael definitely knew somewhat of a chain of events when he's on the phone and can hear – Colton saying, yeah, no, I wasn't with her. I didn't know her. Yeah. Sometime after that,
0: Colton and Jennifer got home and he shot her. At three in the morning, he went to the apartment of a neighbor that he was really good friends with named Nora Sullivan and told her that he'd just been in a fight with some Mexican guys at his apartment and they'd shot at each other. He, yeah, he had a pistol in his hand and Nora said she hadn't heard any gunshots and thought that he was lying. He seemed drunk. So she thought he just made it up. She said that she could tell that he was intoxicated, but that he seemed to be functioning fine, like he was talking fine, he wasn't slurring his words or anything like that. Colton told Nora that he'd lost his phone and asked to borrow hers, so she gave him her phone, and he called a friend named Evan Ray twice, but Evan didn't answer. So they smoked a cigarette and drank a beer together before Colton went back to his apartment.
1: Is Nora not terrified that he's like got a gun? I mean, I know she doesn't think he's dangerous or anything, but I would still be like, oh, you're kind of drunk and you're like waving a pistol around. Like, I would be uncomfy.
0: From what other friends of Colton said, like, this wasn't that unusual. And I don't think they thought, yeah, I don't think it.
1: I'm just an old friend. I don't think he was like waving it around. I don't know. I'm not hanging out with people that are drunk. Absolutely not. I don't like it when my
0: friend's husband who's in the military brings out his gun. I'm like, put that away, sir. And he knows how to use it, you know, and he's not drunk waving it around. Most of the time. Just kidding. (laughs) So after he left Nora's, he must have found his phone because he exchanged several text messages with a girl named Laura Hall. Cell phone records showed the messages had been sent, but police couldn't see what the actual messages were, except for the one that was still on Colton's phone when police recovered it, And that message said, what do you mean from Laura to Colton? After that text, he called Laura. This is around six in the morning and they spoke for 13 minutes. Laura and Colton had met the previous spring and she was completely in love with him. That actually might be an understatement. Obsessed was more the word used like she had an obsession with him. She would run errands for him, she would spend as much time with him as possible, but he really just looked at her and treated her like a late-night booty call. Laura wanted to be a lawyer, and she was working part-time at an Austin law firm while she went to UT studying government. In the Orange Tree podcast that covered this case, Colton says that when he met her, he was going to his friend's apartment and she was outside burning some of the friend's clothes. And he thought that was the type of person he should use as a booty call. Yeah, that
1: feels like a more just red flex. <laughs> Flying. Flying high. Colton said
0: that he was calling her to come over and hang out. He was super hungover from the night before and said he just stumbled to the bathroom and discovered Jennifer's body. He says he has no idea how her body got there. He said he was scared and he didn't know what happened because he would blacked out. He called Laura back and told her not to come, like, after he'd seen the body in the bathroom, but she came anyway, arriving around 8 in the morning. Colton was in a complete panic when Laura got to the apartment. He didn't know what to do, but the one thing they definitely didn't do was call 911. They started talking about the possibility of cutting up Jennifer's body and getting rid of it. Wait, she is, like, part of this? Yes. By the time Jennifer's mother, Sharon, is getting the call from the law firm that Jennifer hadn't come into work, Colton is at a hardware store about a half a mile away where he asked for a saw to cut up a turkey with. He bought the hacksaw, and then he also bought safety masks, ammonia, and cleaning products.
1: Okay, I'm asking follow-up questions if I'm the cashier at this (laughs) hardware store. (laughs) My goodness, y'all. And people think I'm dumb. People think I'm dumb. At least I'm asking why you're not at Bed Bath & Beyond getting a carving knife and a turkey platter.
0: And then he grabbed Burger King on the way home.
1: He most certainly did. From
0: the hardware store on his way to
1: do that. Yeah. He did not. (laughs) He did. He did not stop at BK Lounge. (laughs) The BK Lounge. (laughs) He got coops. Oh, that is so disgusting. I agree. I hate this man. Yeah. At trial,
0: Colton would say that Laura was the one that cut up her body and did all the post-mortem wounds. I hate
1: this man.
0: He said she was the one that put the bullet in her head and stabbed her. He said she'd sent him to the hardware store with like a list of supplies to get and that he spent the day drinking heavily and taking Xanax. Which is why he says he has such a poor recollection of events.
1: Okay, wait, let's pause. Because I feel like we really escalated here. We really got to. So when he called... So there was a text exchange. Uh-huh. And Laura said, what do you mean? And uh-huh. then there was the phone call. And he must have explained everything on the phone. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. And then she comes mm-hmm. to the apartment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, so he never hides that he... Is he just saying, like, I don't know what happened. She's just in the bathtub. There is a lot of debate about what actually happened that day.
0: We know they talked for 13 minutes. She said. He's not
1: denying that he did something to Jennifer.
0: He's saying he has no idea how she got there. He blacked out. He has no clue how she got there. So when
1: he found her, she was only shot in the in the tub all of the mutilation happened after right yes that was them trying to hide it oh yes
0: yeah so he said he spent the day drinking heavily taking xanax and that's why he has such a poor recollection of events at 6 30 that night colton got a call from scott engel he was jennifer's ex-boyfriend that sharon had called earlier to see if he knew anything about jennifer he asked right. colton about jennifer and confronted him about how he was the last person to see her and Colton ended the call saying, that bitch is going to get me arrested. Uh, yeah. Two hours later was the dude I'm eating pizza leave me alone call.
1: How is this man consuming so much food during all of this? <laughs> like, I'm anxious about a presentation I don't eat all day. Uh, I wish I and had I that. I don't understand this. I am stress I'm like, eating. I'm grossed out right now. <laughs>
0: That call with Sharon had him totally panicked again, and he just started packing up some clothes and telling Laura they just had to get out of there. So they, like, ditched the plan to get rid of the body, and they drive to Laura's so she could grab some clothes. And then they go to a friend of Laura's to pick up a bottle of rum that she would left there. Jesus Christ. And then they were off. They were traveling south on I-35. Colton made several calls on this road trip and the location pings on those calls show a direct path to Del Rio, Texas, which is right on the Mexico border. Less than 30 miles <laughs> from the <laughs> right Mexican, Mexican border. border. Uh, they crossed the international bridge into Acuña at 2:41 that morning. By the time Jennifer's body was discovered, Colton and Laura were at the Casablanca Hotel in Piedra Negras about an hour away from where they'd entered into Mexico. But it was like an hour away along the border. Like they were still right on the border. They didn't go like farther into Mexico, which I feel like would be the goal, right? Yeah. So while police start to look into Colton and trace his movements,
1: Colton and Laura are like sipping piña coladas and partying like they're on vacation. Wait, this isn't funny, but I just (laughs) realized what time we're in. And so I'm thinking like they've printed off MapQuest directions. That's why they're a little (laughs) bit confused, right? They're not like rerouting, like they're winging it. that's true.
0: Yeah. Maybe they had no idea. They were just like right on the (laughs) border.
1: Like they're not putting it in their iPhones. (laughs) So
0: Colton and Laura are on their Mexican vacation slash running away, you know, from a crime. And like they run out of money pretty quickly. Like basically by day two, they're out of money. They were hanging out with a manager at the hotel named Pedro Fernandez, and they tried to sell him Laura's Cadillac, but she didn't have the title with her. So he told them to just pop back over to the States and go get the title, but they told him that they couldn't. And then they started asking him questions about extradition. Like, what kind of extradition laws they have in, in, in Mexico for the U.S.
1: <sighs> just casual combo. <laughs> right. So Fernandez starts
0: getting a bad feeling about them, and he ends up calling a friend of his that's a border patrol officer who tells him uh, – Yes, Fernandez. About- <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, he> t- <laughs> Love that. <laughs> he tells him about this incident in Austin and warns him to be careful because they're, like, all hanging out at his house. So Fernandez asks them to leave. He gets nervous. He asks them to leave. And Colton tries, but he, like, stumbles and falls into this playpen – That was like set up in the living room at Fernandez's. And he starts laughing and Laura gets into the playpen with him and Fernandez snaps a picture of them. and In In the playpen. In the playpen, laughing their asses off. In the picture, Colton is wearing like a little straw hat on top of his baseball cap. He's holding this Mickey Mouse doll. Laura's grinning her face off like they look like they're having the best time. Oh, Lord.
1: Probably because they're high.
0: Probably, yeah. Laura starts sending emails to her parents from Mexico, basically telling them not to worry. <laughs> in one email, she tells her dad that she's very happy, finally. She uh, later, at, at a certain point, told her friend that this was the best six days of her whole life, this little
1: But jaunt. she's telling people she's in Mexico. She's like, I'm having a great time. Okay, adios. Like,
0: I don't think she's telling them she's in Mexico, but she's like, I'm so happy. But she tells her dad to delete her emails. And not to tell anyone that he's heard from her. So that doesn't sound. That
1: seems suspicious. weird. That's raising yeah. some hairs on the back of my neck. Yeah.
0: Once Jennifer's body is discovered, word gets out about Colton in Austin and Laura sends another email to her dad telling him to go to her apartment and basically just clear it out. She even dropped out of all of her classes at UT while they were in Mexico. So her dad starts getting worried. So he calls the police and tells them that he thinks that Laura is with Colton. So police start looking for Laura's car.
1: And that's when they discovered that they were in Mexico. So the police were looking for Colton. And they just didn't know that Laura was with him.
0: Yeah, yes, okay. exactly. Okay. And they were not hard to find. After four days in Mexico, Mexican police arrested Colton and Laura and turned them over to U.S. Marshals at the border. Because to answer Colton's question about extradition, Mexico is usually more than happy to turn over Americans that are wanted for crimes in the U.S. Yeah. They will happily send you back.
1: I think countries are getting happy to send Americans back right where we have come from.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. visit betterhelp.com/creepers today to get 10% off your first month that's betterhelp h e l p.com/creepers this episode is sponsored by pros supporting our sponsors really helps support the show a couple of years ago i decided it was probably time i figure out some kind of skincare routine But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, PROSE proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. PROSE is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at prose.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Prose.com slash creepers. So Laura and Colton are taken back to Austin. They're separated and interrogated. Colton immediately asks for a lawyer and doesn't say much of anything. And police are still trying to figure out how much Laura knew, like how involved she'd been. So they didn't want to charge her with anything just yet, and they had to let her go. Mm -hmm. Laura called a friend of hers named Saeed Aziz, and they had a very interesting conversation. She told Saeed that she would just tell the police that she thought she and Colton were on vacation, and that she had no knowledge of any of it, and that she would be fine. Well, she probably shouldn't have
1: shared that that, uh, strategy.
0: You will probably say that a million times, like, Laura, shut your mouth. Laura, why are you talking? Laura, what are you doing?
1: I mean, I want her to get caught, but (laughs) I'm I'm like, it's like everyone's first rodeo, for sure. For sure. The first rodeo.
0: Saeed called Colton an axe murderer and asked Laura why she would help him, and Laura told him that he shouldn't judge Colton because it was an accident. And she then said there's a big difference between manslaughter and first-degree murder, and if I help him, he might walk. Ew.
1: What? Ew. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's no one I like enough to even entertain that idea.
0: Uh, (laughs) Agreed. Saeed asked why she would help someone accused of killing a girl so similar to herself, and Laura said that she loved him and that that's just how she rolls. She told Saeed that she's been all up in this since two hours after it started.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We need her to quit quoting Snoop Dogg lyrics (laughs) and uh, face the actual music. And that is that you are a accomplice and a murderer.
0: Yeah, at the very (sighs) least. That night, Laura goes and hangs out with a few friends, but they've all got tickets to go see OK Go play that night. And the show is sold out. So after her friends leave for the concert, Laura goes to a tattoo parlor and gets a new tattoo on her ankle.
1: <gasps> no. No. Guess what the tattoo no. was, Mogab? Nope. Guess what it said? No.
0: Colton, right there on her ankle.
1: Why? Uh... I, obsession. This is my least favorite peep of the week.
0: <laughs> Complete obsession. Oh, I know.
1: I mean, I knew that she had to if she's like truly willing to do, do all what of she's this. Doing, yeah, but. no
0: kidding. But police were not done with Laura.
1: Also, also, doesn't that look stupid? I mean, it, it's already stupid, mm-hmm. but you're going to get that tattoo. It's fresh. Like you can tell the difference in a new tattoo and an old tattoo. Uh-huh. You're going to get that uh-huh. during all of this. Mm-hmm. And people are going to be like, Oh, okay, so you just like got this man's name tattooed on your ankle. You didn't have that like, you know, eight days ago? Nope. not until after like he murdered
0: someone and we went on the run like Bonnie and Clyde.
1: Right, and then you like helped him and now you have this like bond with him and...
0: Yeah, I'm sure at this point, for sure, she had romanticized this entire situation. Unless it's oh, yeah. this other theory that we'll talk about at the end. So stay tuned for that. More about Laura. <laughs> but police were not done with laura they got an arrest warrant on her for hindering the apprehension of colton and they tricked her into coming to the station by telling her that she could come pick up her car that had been impounded so she shows up to pick up her keys but instead of a car she gets an interrogation i love that and it was clear from the start that she had no idea how much trouble she was actually in even after she was given the arrest warrant and had her Miranda rights read, she still didn't seem concerned. Unlike Colton, who called his attorney right away, she waived her right to counsel. <gasps> yeah, despite the fact that she wanted to be an attorney, worked part-time at a law school,
1: and definitely knew what she was giving up by waiving her rights. Oh my god. It's like, not even her first row. It's like... It's like she doesn't even own a pair of cowboy boots. It's like she's never been here before. Like... Are you new here? <laughs> what? What do you mean? She's in law school? Or no, she wasn't in no, law No, but she school. worked oh. at a law firm part-time. That's right. And Yeah. Ugh.
0: And she aspired to be an attorney. Detectives went into this interview already knowing a few things about Laura. They knew that she was obsessed with Colton. Her new tattoo confirmed that. <laughs> I know she's a complete idiot. That's what I know. (laughs) They know that Laura had been suspicious of the relationship between Jennifer and Colton. And they knew that neither Colton's nor Laura's DNA could be excluded from the gun or the hacksaw. But detectives want to hear her version of the events of that day.
1: Yes, please. I'm yes. Very So curious.
0: Laura said that she showed up at Colton's apartment that morning because she missed him. She had no idea about any body in his bathtub. She wanted to fix things in their relationship. When she got there, she saw a purse on the floor and she started freaking out. She's asking him who whose it was, if there was another girl there. She said they got into an argument and he called her a hoe and she fought with him about how he treated her. And she said that eventually she just left because she felt threatened. She said she'd seen some weapons in his apartment, like a machete and a gun, but that he hadn't been holding them when she was there. But then she asked the detectives that if she was going to go to jail that day, no matter what. And they were like, yeah, no matter what, you're going to jail. There's a warrant for your arrest. And that's when her story changed. This time she said actually they hadn't fought about him calling her a hoe. She said actually what happened was she had got to the apartment and Colton had this silver knife out and he held it to her gut and then brought her to the bathroom and told her to open the shower curtain and she said she did and she saw Jennifer's body there with a machete on top of it and then Colton told her to go home and she left. Oh, that was it? Right. I'm going to hold a knife to your gut to force you to see a dead body in my bathtub and then I'm going to kick you out.
1: I'm going to have you go home where you could probably just call the police.
0: Right. But she said she didn't call the police because she was scared of Colton, the person whose name is on her ankle. Mm -hmm. She said he called her a few hours later for the pizza party, which was at Mr. Gaddy's. Stop. (laughs) Stop it. Not even
1: Cece's? Not even even Cece's.
0: Nope. Mr. Gaddy's. And then they went back to his place. And that's when they hatched. The whole runaway plan. She said she wasn't there when Jennifer was killed and she didn't do anything else to cover up the murder except for taking Colton to Mexico. So, like, he's cutting up the body and then he's having the pizza party and then they're running away. But she didn't have anything to do with any of that. After the interview, she was taken to jail. (laughs) After the interview, she was taken to jail. Colton sat in jail for about a year and a half awaiting his trial. Good. Well, yeah, yeah. While he was behind bars, prosecutors were busy making sure that he would be found guilty. And the first thing they had to do was make sure that the evidence in Colton's apartment wouldn't be thrown out because they knew that it was all found after Jim Sedwick had broken into Colton's apartment and the defense mm-hmm. would definitely jump on the opportunity to get it all excluded from trial because of that. So, The state argued that the evidence should stay because Jim's actions were a result of a very pressing, time-sensitive circumstance, and that Jim believed that it was basically life or death to enter that apartment. It was an emergency. They also argued inevitable discovery, which basically states that you can't throw out evidence that was found illegally if it's clear that the discovery of that evidence was inevitable. It was going to be found no matter what. Officers said that when they were searching around the apartment, there was an odor of decay, and neighbors would have been reporting the smell within a few days. It was an inevitable uh, discovery.
1: Well, and it's not like the body was, like, buried or hidden. I mean, it's in this bathtub. Right, it was in his bathtub. So the court decided to allow the evidence in.
0: So the prosecution then had to figure out what they thought the defense would try to argue. Like, what their strategy would be. And they figured that Colton would probably try to implicate Laura Hall in the murder, and the state so far hadn't found anything that could say Laura hadn't been there or done it. They could see that Laura's relationship with Colton was totally one-sided, that she had this intense obsession with him that he just did not return for her.
1: But prosecutors were but he's also- dragging her along. When we say one-sided, I mean, he's playing the game. He's getting something out oh, of it. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, he's getting something at if least once know a what week. What he's doing? Uh huh. Oh, completely. He knows what he's doing. They no. all
1: know Mogab. They all know what they're doing.
0: Okay, so prosecutors were also careful about what exactly to charge Colton with, and they decided that they were only charging him with murder. They didn't want to give the jury an easy out by allowing them to convict on manslaughter or criminally ne- negligent homicide. It was murder or nothing. And they wanted the trial to be solely on the murder of Jennifer Cave and not the dismemberment or the trip to Mexico, details which had all brought, like,
1: national attention to this case. Which, like, how did we not hear about this being so close? I feel like. Well, this was happening in 2005.
0: And so, I mean, the trial was, like, a year and a half later, but. I feel like we just went there. I
1: was too busy going to like five-side parties. <laughs> well, I mean, I know we wouldn't have heard of it, but I remember when stuff started happening like when I was in college that was timely, like when Virginia Tech happened uh-huh. or like Natalie Holloway. Maybe that was a little yeah, bit of Yeah, I, I think if this had happened in mom. 2007,
0: we probably would have been like more aware of it than
1: we were. My mom would call me and be like, don't, I don't know, like she just, I feel like I would have heard Don't go on any trips to the Bahamas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was always getting that as if that was even an option for me. I'm like, I'll be working at the Waffle House all summer. You know that.
0: (laughs) So Colton came to trial looking like the finance major he was, clean shaven, (laughs) wearing a suit. But the defense's strategy was really surprising to the prosecution. They were going to say that Colton had shot her. And that Laura had not arrived at the apartment until several hours later, but that Colton didn't remember any of it and probably didn't mean to do it. Probably didn't mean to do it. We're not sure, though. Colton testified that he was certain that he'd been the one that shot Jennifer because everything pointed to that, but that he had absolutely no recollection of doing it. He'd completely blacked out. And the last thing he remembered from that night was going to the restaurant with Jennifer. He said that even though it definitely looks like he's the one that shot her, there was no way that it would have been on purpose. Like, they were good friends. Like, there, he had no reason to want to hurt her.
1: It's kind of crazy that that's what they went with when there is someone else there that, I don't know, they could have easily tried to pin it Yes. On and they're still going with – Like, I, I, I feel like in other cases when there's only one suspect, they come up with something crazy. You have another person that was there.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into it later, but that would have been a much better story. Colton testified that it hadn't been him that cut up Jennifer's body. It had been Laura. And he testified that she was the one who had sent him to the hardware store with a list of items to pick up. And after spending the day cutting up a body, they had their pizza party, and then they got out of town. As the defense closed out their case, they basically said that because Colton couldn't remember anything, it was obviously manslaughter or criminally negligent homicide. Because Colton had no motive to murder Jennifer.
1: You know what also sounds like not remembering anything? Hmm. Pretending to not remember anything. (laughs) Those, Those are very similar. You know, they look the same. Yeah, true
0: that. But motive and premeditation are not the same thing as intent, which is simply choosing to commit a crime. You don't need motive or premeditation to prove murder, only intent. It doesn't have to be planned out in advance. It could be spur of the moment, in the moment, like the moment that you choose to fire a gun that is pointed at somebody. That is enough for intent. The prosecution attempted to show how nothing that came out of Colton's mouth should be believed. They brought up that he's a drug addict and a drug dealer, and he said that you could tell that he didn't care about Jennifer because he'd mutilated her body. Yeah, I agree with all of that. In closing arguments, the defense said that they had not proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Colton intentionally killed Jennifer and warned the jury not to get confused with what happened after her death.
1: I, I, those aren't separate to me. Like, those are not separate to me.
0: I don't think I could separate them. I know. The trial lasted six days, but the jury only took one hour to find Colton guilty of the murder of Jennifer Cave.
1: Well, yeah, he basically said that he shot her. He shot her, her. her, yeah.
0: What a terrible defense. And this is like an upper middle class family. Like, they had a good defense attorney.
1: Well, it's not like I want – that's where I struggle of, like, I know that in order for the system to work, good defense has to be a thing. But when you know that he shot her and mutilated her body, I don't want him to have a good defense.
0: (laughs) You know? I just don't. I do. I want everybody to have a good defense. Because if you don't have a good defense, first of all, if you don't have a good defense, that means that there can be appeals and technicalities can get murderers out of jail. And yeah, I want them I to have the best I mean. defense attorney possible so that there's no technicalities that can get them out of jail. They're not going to get off on, yeah, you know. I mean, I get that. I just, ugh. Yeah. I just want everybody to have a good defense anyway, because otherwise the system, that's the thing that we need is I We just need- want
1: everyone to get along in world.
0: <laughs> I would like that too. But <laughs> we need everybody to have a good defense attorney because that's what fixes the system is good right. defense attorneys. But but across the board. Yeah. The sentencing hearing was scheduled for the same afternoon, and during it, Sharon Cave gave a powerful victim impact statement, telling the jury how devastating Jennifer's murder had been on the family. Oh. But then the defense puts on a parade of Colton's high school friends, coaches, teachers, and his parents. His mother blamed everything on the influence of drugs and alcohol and begged the jury to spare him because he is such a good man. No. That's what she said. He was sentenced to- I mean, I
1: get that. I'm sure she wants that, to think that. Right.
0: Yeah. He was sentenced to 55 years in prison. Sharon Cave and her family had wanted life, but all in all, they were happy with the sentence, as it did not minimize Colton's culpability in Jennifer's murder, like the defense had tried so hard to do. Laura Hall never testified at the trial, but she was there, in the back of the courtroom, watching. Eight months after Colton's trial concluded, it was Laura's turn.
1: Yeah, I don't know why I, I feel really strongly about her, but I do.
0: Laura's lawyer was named Jim Sawyer, who we will be referring to as Lawyer Sawyer from here on out. (laughs) He's actually the same lawyer that helped Robert Springsteen from the Austin yogurt shop murders get his conviction overturned. We covered Hmm. that case a while, a long while back, like a year ago. So that was our first book report. That was our first book report. Lawyer Sawyer said that the way Laura acted in the courtroom could have put Anna Delvey to shame. One day she walked into court holding the book Are Men Necessary by Maureen Dowd. Another day she came in after dyeing her hair red. A newspaper reporter asked Sawyer why Laura would just come down the hall of the courthouse like she was starring in a movie. And it was probably because she had her little mouse with this video camera. <laughs> she
1: everywhere. probably thought she was. You think your mouse is doing double time covering <laughs> two people?
0: He is not Laura Hall's mouse, don't even. Oh, it's
1: different mouse. A different mouse.
0: Laura was facing up to 10 years for hindering apprehension. And at this point, they've added the charge of tampering with evidence as well which i absolutely hate that they call mutilating a body tampering with evidence. i know i was
1: just thinking wait do they mean Mm. okay
0: yeah but two years after jennifer's death the jennifer cave act was passed with bipartisan support that made the standard of punishment for mutilation of a body harsher than just tampering with evidence but because it passed after their trials it didn't affect either colton or jennifer's but that was a very good thing that came out of this. A 2009 amendment to this law also gives juries on cases of crimes like this the opportunity to get counseling. Because they have to see those pictures. Anyways, lawyer Sawyer said on the Orange Tree (laughs) podcast he was interviewed, he said that his strategy was to use the physical evidence to show that Laura was as much a victim of Colton's as Jennifer was. That she was incapable of saying no to him, that all he ever had to do was call and she'd be there. He said he thinks she saw in Colton everything she wasn't, someone brilliant, rich, and handsome.
1: I hated all of that.
0: Yeah. At Laura's trial, one of Colton's friends, Jason Mack, took the stand, and he told a story about a time that Laura had come to Colton's apartment to get some money that he owed her. And there was a lot of people there, and pretty much everyone was on some type of drug, and Colton was really agitated and that he pulled a gun out of a drawer and said that Laura was getting on his nerves and that he was going to shoot her. Jason said he had to talk Colton down from shooting Laura. What? Yeah, at this he's. this is just like one time, not this night. Yeah. Sawyer did everything in his power to show that Colton was not a good guy. He was a drug dealer that used and manipulated women- and often put people's lives in danger with his reckless behavior, including waving a gun around. Sawyer said, looking at the facts, it was just a matter of time before he killed someone. This was a guy who loves Scarface and Donnie Brasco and The Sopranos, all films and TV shows that feature dismemberment at some point. Ew. His internet search showed him looking for guns. But I know a lot of people that love Scarface and Donnie Brasco and The Sopranos, and I hate when they bring stuff like that up, but...
1: Yeah. Let me get that but
0: but his internet search showed him looking for guns and all of this Sawyer used to try to persuade the jury that Colton was dangerous Laura's cellmate while she'd been in jail awaiting trial testified that Laura had told her that she'd helped Colton cut up the body she said they'd planned to dismember Jennifer's body and get rid of anything that could identify her which is why it was the head and the hands
1: I mean they didn't even move the car her car is parked outside. Well,
0: they, like, abandoned this whole plan, like, halfway through. Like, they yeah. didn't even move the body. They didn't even take – they put the body yes, parts in a true. garbage bag and didn't even take that. Ooh. They left it all there. Yeah, she said they'd planned to dismember Jennifer's body and get rid of anything that could identify her, but Laura was frustrated that Colton wasn't following through with the plan. The cellmate said that she called Jennifer a waitress hoe. Uh,
1: excuse me?
0: Yeah and that she said she'd have bragging rights about mutilating a body to her grandkids. Oh what? Yeah, like she'd be able, "Hey kids, gather around. You know I cut up a body one time in my youth." Wait, who said that? Ja- Laura. She but like she she'd, said that about herself. About herself that she would have bragging rights because she'd cut up a body and she could brag about it to her grand. It'll be a story she'll brag about to her grandkids one day.
1: Once I thought I heard it all. <laughs>
0: Here I am. <laughs> no kidding. Sawyer tried to show that she was an unreliable witness by bringing up her criminal history, but he said in the end it didn't matter because of all of Laura's antics in the courtroom, which I tried to get up more details on, but I couldn't I, get I a mean, lot.
1: <laughs> I hate this girl. I do love courtroom antics. I know. Seem to be some of my favorites, but <laughs> oof, I don't even want to give her my, I don't even want to give her my laughs. <sighs> Yeah, I know. She's awful.
0: There was some back and forth about the DNA and how, like, accurate the numbers were when it said that her DNA was found on the gun and its magazine and the hacksaw. The prosecutor said that the odds were good enough to say that it was likely her, and then the defense argued that it easily could have been someone else, so there was a lot of, like, confusion and contention with the DNA. Also, side note, at some point, Laura has decided to go by her middle name, which is Ashley, but I'm just going to keep calling her Laura for the sake of confusion. Laura Ashley. Laura Ashley. Oh, my God. I just put that together. Laura Ashley. I had a Laura Ashley comforter. (laughs) Of course you did. Because you're
1: from Texas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Laura did not take the stand at her trial. And in the end, she was found guilty on both charges. Hindering apprehension and tampering with evidence. And she was sentenced to five years in prison.
1: That's it. So she's out.
0: Yeah. She got, but hang on. She was
1: sentenced to five years in prison. It took me five years to graduate, <laughs> so,
0: Yeah. But like, wait, listen like, to this next part. Hang oh, on. No. So unfortunately, it looked like the prosecutors tried to be kind of sneaky during this trial because they didn't tell Lawyer Sawyer. That one of the witnesses that testified like couldn't pick Laura up out of a lineup. And they failed to disclose that to the defense. So Laura got to have a new sentencing hearing. No. Yeah. But between the trial ending and the resentencing hearing, Laura was sitting in prison and she was making a lot of phone calls. Oh
1: shit. And, and they're
0: recorded. <laughs> and God, these, this really is And these phone calls are something else. She's talking about how she blames everyone for her being in prison. She says really terrible stuff about Jennifer's mother. She just Mm -hmm. goes on these rants that are pretty horrific. And the new prosecutors in the resentencing trial, they decide to play several of those calls for the jury. And because of her own words used against her, Laura's sentence is doubled to 10 years. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah that's how you know you're hated <laughs> <laughs> which i still don't think is long
0: enough but yeah i definitely just love not, but- that it was doubled at this <laughs> sentencing hearing and then as the sheriff's deputy starts to take her into custody she grabs sawyer's arm and starts screaming please get me out of this
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> <She Huh>? scr- <laughs> and then she screams to the judge your honor i'm not guilty you need to let me go home Oh, no. They could hear her screaming down the hall as they took her to prison. And she served most all of that sentence, almost the full 10 years after getting her parole denied several times. And she was released in March of 2018. So she walks among us. But she's not allowed in Travis County. So.
1: I mean, who's monitoring that?
0: (laughs) Well, she had to have an ankle bracelet on until the end of her actual sentence, but like she was only released a few months before her sentence would have been up anyway. So Mm. that was only a few, not very long. Colton attempted to appeal his conviction several times. And so this is where things kind of get a little, well, I was going to say this is where things kind of get interesting, but I think this whole story is interesting, but I would say just let me – I'm just going to take some information, oh, no. throw it on this whole pile of, you know, whatever, and just really confuse you and myself. Well, so, there. Basically, Colton attempted to appeal his conviction several times, mostly by trying to blame Laura for the actual killing as well as the dismemberment. They had several people that could swear that Laura had told them that she'd done it all. And by several, I mean, tons.
1: Wait, what?
0: They had multiple neighbors saying she said stuff like, I capped that effing whore.
1: What? Who is this girl? Who is this girl? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm picturing like a 2006, like, Walking around in, like, Hollister holy jeans. And that's the picture.
0: That's polo. the picture. Yes, that's the picture.
1: Really? Yes. Like, is I'm picturing, like, a. Yes. Two pop collars. I mean, you like
0: would flip-flops. not have thought twice looking at her.
1: Like, I, I, I just am so confused. I'm like. uh uh-huh. There
0: were several inmates that had told their counselor in a therapy session how Laura had told them things like how eerie the sound of cutting through bone was. There were at least five inmates that all had similar stories about Laura confessing to them that that she'd killed Jennifer. And Colton's friend, Jason Mack, this is the same guy that had testified at his trial about Colton wanting to shoot Laura and having the gun and all Uh that. He said that after her trial, Laura had told him that she had been at Colton's apartment when Colton and Jennifer got home that night, and that she'd shot Jennifer in a jealous rage while Colton was unconscious, and that she'd cut up the body completely without Colton.
1: Wait. Is that possible that that could be the case? And that's why Colton thinks that he did it and that he was like messed up on drugs and he didn't really. But
0: honestly, this is the story that makes the most sense to me. Like, I hate that. But none of these stories could be corroborated with any actual evidence. So all of his appeals were denied all the way up to the Supreme Court. But it is interesting because the story of Laura being the killer, it does answer Almost all of the questions about this case, especially that big question of why, like, why would Colton kill her? He doesn't have a motive. Like, nobody could say that they were, like, fighting, like, they were friends, like, she was going. I mean, there are a million reasons why the night could have gone sour after they'd gotten home, but I don't know. Laura being at Colton's when they got back to the apartment and then, like, flying off the handle at seeing them together, it is a better story. You know, and it fits. I mean, Uh, this is the girl that got his name tattooed on her ankle after he was arrested for murder. And she didn't have a totally solid alibi for that night. She was supposedly at her friend Ryan's, but he couldn't be certain of the day. There was a roommate that said he remembered her being there in the morning, but couldn't remember her sleeping on the couch the night before. Uh-huh. which is weird. Like, why would you remember her in the morning and then not remember if she had been there or not the night before? I don't know. But you know, just cause it's a good story. It doesn't mean it's the truth. Like, I don't know what the truth is. And the physical evidence does not tell us what the truth is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like jump to that, but I could see you thinking, I mean, other than it says that Colton called Laura, but it's like, if he's all messed up on drugs blacks out and then wakes up and there's a dead body in his thing he's thinking he did something
0: like could this just be like the world's worst version of the movie the hangover like (sighs) but nobody can piece together what happened i just don't know all these new stories it's all crazy laura has denied all of this she says she just wants to get on with her new life and leave all this in her past She says Colton comes from a wealthy family and he has the resources and friends to get these stories about her from, but they're not true. And she says she's the only one who did not get justice. Oh, I wonder if she still has that tattoo. The audacity. (laughs) The audacity. For what it's worth, a private detective tracked down like eight of the 14 jurors from Colton's trial. And he showed them the new evidence and all these eyewitness statements and everything. And five of them said that it created enough reasonable doubt for them that they would have voted not guilty. But Colton remains in prison in Abilene, serving his 55-year sentence. And in the years since all of this horribleness, Sharon Cave and Jim Sedwick got married. So she's Sharon Sedwick now. So that's like one good news. I don't know. This story is just so complex. There's so many twists and turns that giving like every single detail of everything, especially all of these theories would have required a second part. So if you want to hear from all of the people in this case, including like Jennifer's family, Colton Petoniak, Lawyer Sawyer, the podcast, The Orange Tree interviews all of those people to tell this story in like 730 ish minute episodes. So definitely check that out. Like I said, a lot of the information I have is from that podcast, but you know, they obviously have more. And the last thing I want to say is that Jennifer Cave's obituary stated that instead of flowers, she would want donations to your favorite children's charity. So if you have a favorite children's charity, I tried to come up with one before, but you know, I could just think of ones like the Ronald McDonald House and St. Jude's and, you know, the big ones that people often give to, but those are also good causes. So, yeah. Anyways, if you have a favorite children's charity, think about making a donation in Jennifer Cave's memory wow yeah and that is the murder of jennifer cave which is very very sad yeah very sad and just very confusing like the biggest question to me about this case is why
1: did they go eat at so many places i know (laughs) i know
0: well why did she go out with him in the first place like she's out at one in the morning, and she knows she wants to be up at six, like is that just being an irresponsible twenty one year old she was so excited about this new job like I just
1: i don't know, I mean, not the same, but we were definitely out late when we had commitments early the next day, you know, whether it was like volunteering or bobcat build or you know whatever the thing like we would yeah, I mean, I, mean, I get it it's true. not a job, but we would make it work we just were yeah, up. <laughs> yeah
0: you know? that's yep. That's – you're right. That is like
1: Like, look me in the eye and tell me you never went out before (laughs) Founders Day when we had to be in San Antonio at 8 a.m. You didn't go out?
0: I – no. I am like – I'm like a 35-year-old right now where I'm like, oh, it's 10 o'clock and you've got work the next day and you're going to leave to go to 6th Street? Like, that sounds like the worst thing in the world. But, yeah, putting myself back when I was like 18, 19, 20, 21 – yeah, yeah. There, and I didn't even always have a ride. I would wind up like random places, and I'd have to call my friends. Like,
1: <laughs> can you come pick me no, up and take me to work don't... or whatever? <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> mm-hmm. My friend was here this weekend, and we were. Uh, we just went out for this like a little celebratory champagne, and this there's a cute place here. And we were getting ready, and we were like, okay, so we'll go. We'll have one drink. Like, we'll be back. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we'll be, we'll be in bed by nine 30. And I was like, or we'll, like, at least be back by nine 30. And I was like, do you remember when we, not us together, We I met her in Kentucky, but when you wouldn't even think about going out, like, you would get ready. You would start getting ready at, like, 10, 30. I mean, you were, like, putting on the jams. Like, you weren't going out before 11 or 1030 to the place. No. Like, you were getting ready at, like, 10, 30
0: you're absolutely right
1: you're absolutely right it's like you were waking up from your nap (laughs) at like 8 45. Nine. do you know what i mean like
0: why have i blocked all no you're totally right it was at least 10 o'clock we're getting ready we're going to the place yeah i remember i remember getting into an argument with my mom because she was like because i was going to a house party this was like in houston i was going to a house party and she was like why are you leaving so late everything closes at two and i was like i'm going to a house party And she was like, but everything closes at two. And I'm like, not this person's house. It's a house party. (laughs) Like, this person's house does not close at two. And she like was still like, everything closes at two. I don't understand why you're leaving at 1230.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I am like literally so old.
0: Oh, my God. If I have a plan and it starts after 930, I'm out.
1: I've got to even start wanting to have the plan. Like, I'm not even trying to do anything anymore.
0: No, I have my standing Friday night with Natalie so that I can get out of my house at least one day a week and make sure that happens. And other than that, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> oh,
1: does this not count as my, like, social activity this week? Yes. Do we have the shoutouts? Do we have the shoutouts of all of the famous adjacent people? Yes, and I think my Jimmy John's may be here, and I cannot believe that that is what I ordered.
0: I'm so mad that you can have it delivered and I can't.
1: Yeah, because it's like, why do I even need that? You know? The
0: irony. I would have it delivered every day, though, so it's really a good thing.
1: That's probably why they. they
0: yeah, can.
1: Kristen. These people are some of our most very favorite people. You know why? Why? Because they're patrons, and that we love the patrons. Adjacent, adjacent.
0: The patrons are famous. Adjacent, adjacent. They have all of our love and loyalty. Mogab will not help you hide a body, but I'm not saying never.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I'm definitely not doing that. But. I'll send you a card in the mail and I'll wax seal it really nice.
0: She will. She'll do all of that. So if you would like a shout out, like we're about to give to these fine folks, you can sign up for our Patreon at any level that comes with a shout out on the podcast, but you have to sign up for it. We have like a form on the Patreon for you to fill out that lets us know what name you want. And all of that kind of good stuff. So Yeah, we
1: don't want to put you on blast unless you want us to put you on blast. So we ask you to, you know, let us know what name and whatnot. You might be listening in secret. All right. Are you going first? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll go first <laughs> for Meredith OG. Why is she the OG? Is she an original listener? I don't know. Is she? Major shouts, Mayor.
0: Major shouts, Meredith. And major shouts for being the OG for whatever reason that might be.
1: <laughs> yeah you don't you don't owe us anything
0: <laughs> major shouts to marcia king thank you so much marcia
1: yeah marcia thanks for the phonetic spelling too marcia, i would have definitely uh, that
0: wrong. actually know a marcia and so that helped <laughs> major shouts didn't no i'm gonna mess that up didn't ba- banana dana Da-nana. rhymes with banana Danana. no dan dana <laughs>
1: Oh, Danana. <laughs> <To> <laughs> i sorry to make it Oh, Dana. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry
0: about Dana, that. Dana, Bobana, Banana, fanna Banana, be Dana. And
1: Abby Harmon. Major shouts.
0: Haley Grace. Major
1: shouts, Haley Grace.
0: What major a beautiful name. Haley grace What?
1: What a beautiful name. I know. And let me tell you about Haley Grace. She's a beautiful soul as well. Ugh.
0: All my, of our love,
1: all of our dolly love.
0: My friend Grace is her last name, but I only call her Grace, much like you. Five daughters. I'm in, I'm obsessed with every single one of their names because I think the last name Grace, is her last name Grace or is it her middle name? No, it's her middle, middle name. name. I think the last name of Grace makes every name so beautiful.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Middle names count no. too, Haley Grace. Haley Grace, you are beautiful inside and mm. out. Pour yourself a cup of ambition. <laughs> and... Last, but certainly not least, Andrea Lee. Thank you so much for being a patron.
0: I went to check their phonetics because I'm like, oh, gosh, is it Andrea? Is it Andrea? Is it? (laughs) (laughs) You never know. We never know. So Andrea, Andrea Lee. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. Just the best. And if you haven't heard your shout out yet, it's coming. I swear, unless you haven't signed up and then it's not coming at all. And
1: guess what should still be coming? Mail in our P.O. Box. Don't forget.
0: Don't forget. It is P.O. Box 43296. 43296.
1: Louisville, Kentucky 40253. That is P.O. Box 43296.
0: Louisville, Kentucky 40253. You can address it to True Crime Creepers. Send us a little note in the mail. We would love it. If that's something you're yeah. into, I I would never. I am not a snail mail person, but Mogab loves it. I like
1: live for it. It's her and first person thing. to get in that PO box, oh, you're like gonna a get a little treat s- for you, a little treat from Mogab. Oh, I shouldn't have said the T word. Oh no, <laughs>
0: sorry, Chowder. it's not for you. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate you listening. You can also follow us on social media. Find us on Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, sometimes at CreepersPod. We have our Facebook discussion group, which is growing every day. It's so much fun in there. Someone just posted a bunch of bloody packages. So. Yeah, ew, what was, yeah
1: what's <laughs> that?
0: What else do we usually say? Is that it?
1: That's it. People know. Find us on social media. Leave us a rating and a review. People oh, really yeah. Leave us a rating and a
0: review. Spotify and iTunes you can do it. Well, you can review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. <laughs> And thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of you so much. Tell a friend about the podcast. That would be really helpful. And otherwise, be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I will tell Mogab
1: another wild story. Bye, peeps and creeps.